0: Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of In Good Company, produced in collaboration with The Standard Hotel as part of their new audio programming platform, Sometimes Radio, and recorded in the library lounge of The Standard Hotel's London Outpost. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Atega Uagba. I'm a writer and the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for working women. And you can find out more about that community at www.womenwho.co. This episode is actually a live recording from a Women Who event I hosted back in March on International Women's Day, which was a conversational salon about contemporary feminism, featuring our guests, the award-winning author, Rennie Edo-Lodge, broadcaster, Zazia Foray, and Days Digital's head of fashion, Emma Hope Allwood. Tickets for that event sold out in less than five minutes, so I was really keen to find a way to share the highlights from that conversation with everyone who wasn't able to join us. The discussion on the day actually ended up going on for over two and a half hours, so this episode is very much an edited version of that conversation. We talked about everything from girlboss culture and the problem with corporate feminism, to intersectionality and how we can all be better feminists and allies to marginalised communities. It was, truthfully, one of the most thought-provoking and productive conversations I've had about feminism in a really long time. I'm really pleased to be able to share it with you. So thank you to The Standard Hotel for making that possible. In Good Company we will be back later this year, as will these conversational salons, once we're no longer dealing with a global health pandemic. But I hope this episode will keep you going until things are back to normal. In the meantime, take care of yourself and take care of the people around you. Stay safe. First question. This kind of to our special guests, not panel, special guests and also to everyone, is I kind of wanna get a bit of a sense check about how everyone actually feels about International Women's Day as an event because I have some conflicting views about it. I think like the origins of it were very much within the sort of labor movement. And I think some of that has maybe gotten a bit lost in recent years. So I was wondering how people feel about International Women's Day. Like, How do you feel when kind of like mid-February, you start getting, if you're working in the media like I do, you start getting those press releases probably earlier for a lot of people actually mm-hmm. and if you you know just kind of consuming media, then you're definitely getting a lot of International Women's Day themed content I suppose to say, and I'm just really curious as to how everyone feels about that.
1: Who's going first?
2: Do you
0: want, does one of you want to go well, first? Well, I
1: mean, um, I can speak to it from um, my perspective as an editor and it's the same with Pride. It's the same with all these all these kind of, like, months or days. It's an excuse for PRs to get in touch and trying to get you to write about their products. Um, and a lot of the time, to me, it does feel very much like... Oh, we, oh, quick, it's, it's Women's Day. Like, what can we do? What can we say? Like, there's a woman involved in our business somehow. Like, um, and for me, I'm just kind of like, I, genuinely this year I was like, I'm going to set up a Gmail auto filter and just send all those messages to the spam is um, that why you didn't
0: reply to my email when I first <laughs> sent it to you because she actually didn't I had to chase her no check
1: like, um, so it's something that i personally have kind of uh, become a bit fatigued by just being someone who is um, working in fashion and i guess that a lot of the time i uh, i feel slightly like dubious at the motivations for these kind of initiatives these these email send outs um, at least with when it comes to brands but
0: So what's days been doing to kind of, I guess, around International Women's Day to Market? Have you guys done anything? I'm like, I
1: actually don't know if we have.
0: I mean, that's kind of fair enough and valid. I think it kind of becomes a slightly artificial hook sometimes. Well,
1: I think the thing is that, I mean, especially with with fashion, it's like you don't necessarily need to... You know, our coverage all the time is about, like you know gender equality and and you know we cover these things constantly whether it's you know we did a whole campaign last year about abortion rights in ireland and 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 things like that this is just a part of what who we are as a platform and so kind of i don't really think that um especially from my editorial coverage i'm like quick we need to like create some content around it because it just feels like naturally it's a part of who we are i think the problem is when you get companies or platforms that actually talking about women's rights or gender or equality isn't part of their their usual remit. Suddenly trying to make it part of their remit that it, it appears quite, um, you know, tr- kind of transparent. Like shell. Shell. Oh my, yeah, the shell. Has anyone <laughs> seen that? Se- sh- who's seen that? No.
3: Uh.
0: It's
4: Wait. You, yeah. What, it's- can you tell us about it?
0: Let's, put, let's oh, yeah. put that in the
5: audience. Yeah,
4: it's like the worst thing you've ever seen. It's like, um, and, and so slickly done, you can tell they've got far too much money. Um, and essentially, it's all of these beautiful images of, of girls and women of all backgrounds and all races and all da-da-da-da, and then they've changed their name for one day from Shell to Sheel. Oh. <laughs>
0: I personally loved it, no, I'm joking.
4: It was, it was a
2: real gotcha, because it was like, oh this woman God. will, or so, yeah. she will. And it's like, oh, she will. I'm like, what will she do? And it's all these different women. So you're like, oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the end, Shell. And you're like, ah! It's like, oh my God. Because at first you sort of start off, I start I watched that and I was like, okay, ready to eye roll. But there was such a diversity of like women, age, representation. I was like, okay, it's kind of cute though. And it's like really nicely shot because Shell have loads of money. But, yeah, then the end, you're just like, ah, Shell. Who are like, you know, my I'm Nigerian, and I'm from Delta State. And so what Shell have done to my home country, and particularly my home town, is terrible. So it's like, you're doing up all of this. All that money that you spent on this advert, which someone who's come from a consulting background knows how much these things cost. For it to be looking like that, for me to even be like, oh, it's kind of nice, <laughs> spenny, to say the least. But, again, it's to speak to, I guess how it's that double-edged sword of international women's day i think it all it does for me is highlight how much inequality and power inequality there is all the time because what these brands will often do i have no doubt that it's probably some like talented right on creative that made that advert And they
5: probably actually believe in what they're doing. There you go. So this person's
2: just like, well, you know, this is a commercial job that will allow me to sustain sustain my craft. And I'm going to use this opportunity to maybe showcase people that I wouldn't normally get to do. And this is how the corporations get you. You know, it's always often the black and brown uh, members of staff and the women that they now wheel out when it comes to these particular holidays. Ah, you know, Tracy, you're black. (laughs) So you know, what do you think about Women's Day? Which women do you like? And it's like, <laughs> then Tracy's now torn between, you know, this is the one time that her boss has probably even addressed her directly. It's the one time that she maybe has a chance to push the needle a tiny bit at work. And even if it is for this trite campaign, she's had a chance to maybe platform her friends, say something that she likes, and and use it for something that makes her feel at least a bit better about her job or feel seen in her job. So it's it's complicated because, again, often the people that the brands kind of get to do this legwork are... They have, they have best intent. So they, they have, have best, best intent, intent and they are not in a position to make the structural change at their companies. So this is like all that they can do to be like "Ah, anyway let me just chuck my friend some coin you know for a cute panel or for a cute event and at least i'm putting money in in people i respect's pockets Mm. so it's complicated i'd say
0: i think about that a lot i'm I'm curious rennie how do you feel about international women's day because you're also doing another event after this you've got rennie working hard on international (laughs) women's day just going over to wow the wow festival and doing a panel there as well so obviously i think there's something well is it obvious that there's something about it that you kind of believe in or endorse? Like, how do you feel about it generally? Why are you, get, why are you bothering to get involved with International Women's Day events?
5: I get asked, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apart from that.
0: Because <laughs> you don't do, you don't, like, Renny's a friend of mine, you don't do stuff that you don't want to do, so you must want to do on some level.
5: That's true. <laughs> well, you know, maybe 2010. I used to have a blog. Um, and maybe in, like, 2010, I wrote this um, blog post that I posted on Instagram, like, this time last year, and it was called Thanks Feminism. Um, I was in university at the time, and uh, it was... And I think for me, like, at that time, like, International Women's Day was about marking, um, like, the successes of the feminist movement and, and the labour movement in particular. Um, I wrote this entire blog post, and it was about, you know, thanks, feminism, you know, for my reproductive rights, for the right to, to study um, um, without um, having to ask for my father's permission, you know. What else did I write, you know? Essentially, the right, thanks feminism for the right to be able to uh, live my life outside of the terms of, of a man, you know. And uh, it was this long, long blog post. You can find it on my Instagram. It's accompanied with a picture of me It's like in the back of a van. <laughs> explain uh,
2: it's very eastern.
5: it was a picture of me no it's not it's a picture of me in uh, at, at uni and you know it's like you're so mobile at uni you're moving every three months it feels yeah. so um, all my stuff was in the back of a van and so was I and that was the only picture of myself I could find from that time period so <laughs> anyway so um, yeah I just I go back perhaps every International Women's Day and I read that blog post and um I don't have that zeal anymore that I had back then. It's not like I don't, you know, still feel that deep gratefulness that I was writing about in that blog post, you know. Um, I feel incredibly fortunate to uh, continue to live in a world where I, contend, I can largely move through this world without having to look for men's approval, largely. Um, but for some reason, I don't know, I just feel like. Perhaps the more my feminism has become prominent, the more it just feels like the radical roots of the day have just been... It's like they've been zapped away from me. Do you know what I mean? Um,
0: Do you feel that's because of the kind of current... Like, is that more of a personal thing in how you've changed and how you've evolved? Or is that the climate? Because I mean, and I'm curious as to what people, you know, what you guys will think as well. Because I think for me, I... Like like you, like especially when I was a bit younger in my early twenties, and still now I'm still like a sort of rampant feminist, but sometimes I feel fatigued. Like I was writing something in like I'm currently working on a book, FYI. I was writing something in my book. Um about and i kind of was writing it and i felt myself tuning out and i thought if i'm tuning out of this how is it going to be when people are reading this and so i then kind of had to make a bit of a joke out of it just being like i know you've probably like switched off already because i'm talking about it was like about the gender pay gap and it's like, how many times have I heard the word gender pay gap? And I'm like, what does that even really mean anymore? Because it's like, it's it's still there. It's still an issue. People kind of pay a lot of lip service to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of the more radical things that people could do, like companies could do to actually counteract the gender pay gap aren't happening. So they'll just kind of have like a hashtag every year. Like,
1: Well, I, I think, I mean, when you were talking, I was thinking back to when I was at uni and it yeah, was... because I, w- I think we met when you were in uni, yeah, like yeah, in yeah. an activist ca- capacity, uh, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I remember being at my... Um, at, I was like probably my second year and this was maybe like 2012 and I was like at the Freshers' Fair f- representing the feminist society and like the the way that people would walk past my table <laughs> and the booth and just look with like such like horror and disdain at a feminist society and this is like not that long ago but there was still such a like there was a real kind of um, like People weren't ready to kind of have that conversation, and the conversations that we have had over the last like 10 years. And a lot of people who I spoke to on that day were just kind of like, "What's the point of this? Like, you just hate men. Like, all those kind of those things that now just seem so like outdated." And I think that in the middle, what's happened is this huge like wave of popular feminism. But while we've come a long way in terms of like talking about feminism and women's rights and and just gender equality more broadly a lot of the work still hasn't happened, but we have the impression that it has happened because a lot of talk has happened. But actually, there's still so much progress that that needs to be done in a very kind of... in a literal and political sense, and we've kind of not forgotten about that, but I think, you know, we kind of have this idea that all that stuff has has come along a lot further than it really has. Mm. I
5: I agree. I think, like... You know, because I remember when we met, I think I'd come to, like, do a talk at your feminist society or something. Like, you know, I still had that zeal and that passion. But I feel like in the time between then and now, there's been this weird, like, contradiction where... um, I would say, similarly, when I started getting interested in feminist activism in, like, 2009, it was, frankly, a a dirty word, you know? Mm -hmm. And now feminism isn't a dirty word, but, like, the ubiquity... There's something about like we wanted the ubiquity, but in that it feels like the radicalism's gone. Yeah, that, that's what it feels like to me. I think
2: we're all tired, I think, really. I think the only thing that's relevant about this day to me is the international element. I think why you're tuning out when writing about gender pay gap is, in as much as that's a really important concern, it's a very rarefied concern on a global scale, you know? It's like, what we complain, when we talk about white feminism, we roll our eyes. When we like be like, ah, lean in feminism, we laugh at Sheryl Sandberg. I think even putting the gender pay gap at the top of your feminist concern tree is kind of veering on that. Cheryl um feminism. It's not about equality and leveling that paying field and uplifting everybody. It's about actually this fucked up system can say how it is as long as I'm in the boardroom. Mm. And I think the international element is what is missing in terms of okay, the 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 rights that we all enjoy here in London or in the West. Um, what are we doing to try and maybe? help our literal sisters worldwide appreciate uh, enjoy some of those freedoms and those liberties I think that th- that's the only interest element that I'm interested in truly truly is the international element because I think I think here it's been feminism here in London or in the West or whatever has been co-opted into this kind of even if it's Uh, packaged in a different way. Everyone is essentially kind of falling into this kind of girl boss lean-in trap Mm -hmm. of not really wanting to change things, just making sure that at least if there's a boardroom, that they're in it. And screw everybody else who didn't quite make it up the ladder, and that's your problem.
5: I also kind of feel like... um you know, I think the ubiquity—I I remind myself of like that ubiquity, mm-hmm. that mainstreaming of the arguments. You know, when I was arguing about rape culture when I was 19, like that's—that's that's what we wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that progress. You know, yeah. I'm proud of it. I think it's totally necessary, and I'm glad that like those those broader opinions have changed. But at the same time, I think something that I'm just like fundamentally deeply uncomfortable with is—is is that it feels like community activism has been replaced with this like idea of okay we've got to find lots of women role models it started with those non-fiction books for kids look at all these like role models of women but like I wanna... you, know, you look at instagram and it's all these pictures of like oh here's here's women who we consider to be our role models and, and being a person who's now on the receiving end of that I just feel I feel deeply uncomfortable I just feel like I'm not sure this is what I was organizing for 10 mm. years ago you know I'm gonna ho- hold that thought just for a second and just
0: come back to that because I do want to talk about this role modeling thing and I want to talk about the kind of privilege of certain kind of strands of feminist activism but I kind of want to open because I think I'm quite cognizant of the fact that we all work within media and there is definitely like I think we're kind of exposed to certain conversations like we're in it constantly like in in the the trenches so to speak and I kind of I I mean I don't know what everyone here does maybe you all work in media as well in which case like (laughs) we all feel the same but I kind of want to just kind of take like a temperature, like how do you guys feel right. about the way, like about We've popular... We've thrown through fe-
2: zingers in there, come on. Yeah, how like popular
0: feminism is kind of being played out in the media and culture. Like how do you feel about feminism? Like what's your relationship with feminism like? Like when did you first feel like you were a feminist and how has that maybe potentially changed over the past couple of years as it's kind of become very mainstream? Has that changed things for you? Does anyone want to kind of jump in? I've asked a lot of just questions a there. Go on,
1: mics.
6: Don't be shy. Hey, thank you. Um, I kind of agree with, with uh, obviously, a lot of what you guys are saying, but I kind of really feel that aspect of IWD being very local, um, kind of in the media and kind of what we see and what we're kind of we're given to digest. What do you mean by local? So kind of much of what you're saying about kind of that, that gender pay gap, that lean in, local to us here in London, here yeah. in the West, if you will, local to... The issues that we think or not we think that we know are incredibly important, but in a very localized way, if that makes sense, it's kind of um, and I feel like that focus on the international exactly you said has been has been lost a little bit. So I work in an international kind of development organization and actually for us, it's very much around access and kind of that we hate the term rights and responsibilities because it's as though you have a responsibility to fight for your own right. A right is a right. You don't. There There is no responsibility associated with it. It's almost if there is a responsibility, it's some kind of us to kind of level it. I think maybe that is a little bit lost in the kind of the the mainstreaming, if you will, of feminism, that it feels a bit too local at the moment for me.
4: Hi, I wanted to give a positive story. Um, I don't know if you guys saw a th- well, it must be in time for International Women's Day, coincidentally. But Unilever announced that they had finally achieved um, equality across the board in their um, from their senior leadership. So I worked at Unilever when they put that um, that process into place, and they just took a very hard line that your compensation, your bonus. For senior management was going to be affected on whether you made your team 50-50. Yes. And when that landed, I remember thinking like, you know, I saw like, you know, some of the senior of leaders go like, what? And like, you know, some comments <laughs> were made. But, you know, years later, they've done it. And one year ahead of the deadline, but it just took like somebody, the head of diversity, senior leadership at that point in time, to say, we have these issues, nobody's gonna voluntarily go, hey, I'm going to gender, you know, equalize my team. But they just mandated it. And I feel as though like more companies should take the risk in doing that because initially, you know, the first couple of years is gonna be rough, but now I think it now sensitizes male people to say they are now aware or they've learned how to hire women. And I think because they were forced to do it, like, it happened. And they shouldn't be forced to do it, but...
0: But uh, that's kind of what you need to do. Like, I've had
4: this question put at me a lot, like, often I've... I remember
0: I spoke at an ad agency a couple of years ago and at the end it was, like, the kind of basic, like, the CEO of the company was like, okay, Otega, like, what should we do to, like, make our agency more equal? And I was like, hire more women like hire more black people like it's literally that simple but also it's like you need to make people's bonuses and salary contingent on actually meeting those deadlines because otherwise Mm. it's all just talk like i feel like something that makes me so like especially working within circles i work in but there's a lot of like charters put out and like oh this is our commitment you know you know our manifesto for the year for the next five years but that's all talk if you're saying that someone you know heads are going to roll unless you achieve like gender parity then people are going to start actually paying attention so i think that's really like an interesting i didn't know that about unilever and it's actually something i I also want to know how people feel about their workplaces and how feminist they are
2: i was literally just going to say like In my consulting work, I work a lot to try and change the industries that I've been involved in, so mostly broadcasting, um, media, and the arts. And I think one thing that I'm always raising in the respective rooms that I'm in is like it's one thing to... um, hire these people but it's like you you also have a duty to make sure that their experience once they're inside the door is positive so you can do all of this quota 50% women but when that woman gets pregnant now and is now looking at you know she's either going to be demoted or just eased out one kind of way then it's not really positive i mean it's progress is progress and i think that's the thing like i think part of trying to push things forward is kind of accepting that you're always kind of be dissatisfied one way or another Um, so it's not to say that that's not a great stride you know we could all sit here and be like Unilever ah, terrible company but Equally, it's they're a huge their workforce is gigantic, so we kind of have to deal on twin two levels of what the ideal is, what we wish for, and what is what is reality. But on that reality tip, I think in the same way in terms of hiring more Black people in the workplace, if Black people's work experience is not positive, yeah, and you're the only person in the office, and you're constantly marginalised, constantly suffering microaggressions, constantly being like the go-to voice for Black concerns or marginal concerns. That's an exhausting place to be, and those people will drop out. Yeah, so it's a well-known it's phenomenon. Like
5: people of colour, basically, concentrated at entry level.
2: Right. Yeah. They so don't the thing that we say a level. lot in in kind of advocacy work and access work is that you can get in, but you can't get on. So there's a million entry-level schemes, one of which I'm even involved in and I'm you know very proud to be part of. It's called Multitrack. It's for entry-level producers. But again, the reason why I was invited to the board is because I really had serious questions for the organising team about oh, another entry-level scheme. What happens afterwards? It's yeah. irresponsible to sell these dreams of like... Yeah storytelling and creativity and it's like you sell this dream you're allowed on the first step of yeah, the ladder with the and then you're, racism, like, and then you're booted off <laughs> off Be you like, go oh, That's God. Right. and we have a duty to make sure that you know anyone marginalised or gate kept out whether it's women, black people or black women <laughs> intersectional we have a duty to make sure everyone at those intersections is looked after once they're inside the industry, it's not about just getting in
0: Yeah. I want to change tack slightly and talk about something that we were talking about before, like girl boss culture and lean in feminism, because I think that has probably... I mean, I'm being honest about myself. That has really, in a lot of ways, definitely a couple of years ago, informed a lot of my take on feminism. And I know that we are now, or maybe I am now, don't know if it's everyone kind of moving away from that. I kind of want to hear how people feel about that. Like, who... Hands up. Who has read either one of those books, Lean In or Girl Boss? Okay, that's quite a few, quite a few of you. So I read Lean In for the first time a couple of months ago, just as like research for something else I was doing. And I was expecting it to be like completely awful. Like I'd read so many articles about it and I knew that it didn't align with my feminism, which is about being A, you know, a lot more intersectional, B looking at people, you know, across the kind of class spectrum, whereas that kind of Cheryl Sandberg feminism is very much about professional women at the top who can like the solution. To you know, juggling motherhood and work is like hire a nanny, and it's like okay, um, if you can't afford that, what do you do then? So I'm quite intrigued because I know now we're moving away from that, but I'm like, has anyone found anything like useful in that kind of girl boss culture? Because that is what empowered me, to use the empowered word, to leave my full time job and strike out on my own because I suddenly felt like it was possible. And even now, you know, it's not really for me in a lot of ways. Around 2015, when that stuff was at its height, it allowed me to make a leap that has actually been very empowering. I know, you've got someone over here.
7: Hi. Um, I, I'm not sure. Well, what I'm going to say isn't necessarily about directly getting anything useless from... use. Well, it is about getting something useless from um, Lean In, but... I'm somewhat embarrassed to say it now, but for a very long time I would say that I wasn't a feminist and the reason for that was that I just didn't identify myself in any of those spaces and if anyone can't see me, I'm a black woman. and um, hey, spaces, <laughs> And I felt like whenever I heard feminism talked about, I just wasn't I, I just didn't see myself. Those issues weren't my issues. The first issue I felt when I when I went into a room was the fact that I was a black person, then a black woman, and then a woman. And I felt like I wasn't really getting what I needed from books like Lean In because that wasn't accounted for. But then I found Roxane Gay, and then I was like, actually this is really helpful for me. So in a sense, what I got from books like Lean In was the the will to go and find Roxane Gay mm. and to go and find feminism that helped me. And now I'm right on feminism. <laughs>
0: Ooh, love it. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is the kind of commercialization of feminism and branded feminism because a lot of the energy behind International Women's Day, or I feel like most of the energy I see behind International Women's Day these days is from from brands. And I mean... On the one hand, it's like you can be cynical about it. I I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit and be like, does it matter if it's like super commercial if there are actually benefits for women at the end of it? So like, let's take the example of The Wing, which I think is something that is very... (laughs) (laughs) Something that is like very like controversial and has a lot of, you know, it has a lot of people who are very pro it, very advocates, and a lot of people who are very anti it. Like, I actually am very curious as to how people feel full disclosure I am a member but I also have a complimentary membership like just in the spirit of transparency but I'm very very curious I don't have any skin in this debate I'm very curious as to how people feel about that there's a
7: lady with her hand up there the wing I have quite a big issue with because it's you know they're part of their ethos is to empower women around them and to you know give women this I guess like a place where they can come and learn, and you know how to make, how to improve their work lives, how to um, how to get on the ladder, but it just prices out people who can't afford 170 pounds a month. It's so expensive, and as I'm a high-level manager and I can't afford 170 pounds a month in London, I don't understand anybody who could. Um, but it's to me as that kind of brand of feminism of like, well, if you can afford it, then you've got the opportunities, but if you can't, then ah, oh, tough.
5: I mean I think a members club, a private members club is a private members club at the end of the day. Like and the point of a private members club is to be able to have a sense of exclusivity and and network with people who can also afford it. So no like no shade to the wing. I I um participated in an event about periods there a few weeks back. It was an amazing event, but let's just see it for what it is, a private members club. I, I think that like All of those aims that you just listed can be done in community spaces and have been done in, like, the the feminist activism that I was involved in a decade ago, and it didn't cost a penny. Maybe you had to pay for your transport there, you know? Sometimes it was in occupied, you know, like, in occupation. Sometimes, at one time, I went to this, like, feminist event in, like, a... It was in this uh, sh- shop in Peckham that, like, the activists had just taken over. Um, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Rennie
0: was really in the trenches whilst, you know... Whilst I was enjoying, Rennie was out there fighting the good fight. Yeah, so. you
5: know. Um, and uh, also, a lot of these... You know, so... There's absolutely no n- need to have to pay in order to access um, that that organising feminist energy. I think my issue is... Um, I never read Lean In or Go Boss or any of that stuff. I was aware of it, um, but that was at the time I was involved in activism. And I guess my issue, I can't, my judgment based on what people discuss is that it isn't, it doesn't feel linked into the history of the women's movement. It doesn't feel like, that word doesn't feel like it's coming from the women's movement. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure all of us here know that, like, the women's movement of feminism and women's liberation over the years has been hugely fragmented. Um, there's people who I used to organise back in the day who now I'm like, OK, that person's transphobic, we're not working together. Do you know what I mean? Like, But um, I noticed over the last decade that there was a kind of, like, a celebritising, like, celebrity corporate, and it was becoming it was getting further and further away from collective action and i think that's what that's what's disheartening to me and don't get me wrong i also recognize i'm a part of that you know i wrote a book my name is on it people looked at me as though those thoughts came solely from my head but those thoughts came from my head developed from collective act- action like developed from reading of people who were writing 30 years before i was born you know like and that's important that's how the thinking for me like progresses when we're working together and i feel very concerned about the individualization of stuff can a for-profit brand ever be feminist like they're not the only ones you kind of think of
0: like a bumble which kind of talks about itself being like the feminist dating app or like you have like third love or like all these like brands who aren't necessarily doing anything bad and they are helping some women so i'm like is that not something to be applauded
5: I I don't disagree. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we continue to live in capitalism for our sins, so at, like, w- somebody has to be trying to make progress within those, those spheres, because you know, as I was talking about going to feminist organised meetings in squats, at the end of the day, it's just not very sustainable. You know, like, somebody needs to be getting paid in order for things to keep going, so um, I don't have an issue with people who are attempting to make a profit from feminism, um, but I, I think that these things can kind of coexist, right? Like they can absolutely coexist.
1: I'm not at all surprised that people try and make money from feminism or for from any of any kind of, you know, social causes, but I do expect that at the very minimum money will be going to charity or to a cause. And and there's definitely examples of designer fashion brands which I won't mention, but you know, these these brands who have done these very big kind of ostensibly feminist empowerment campaigns. And then when you actually look at it, it's like, okay, well, actually, is is any money from this really expensive item going towards any women's organizations? No.
2: Those big brands, they use these kind of radical movements all the time to sell us more clothes, which is fine. We're gonna buy clothes anyway, I'm not mad at that. But I think you need to put your money where your mouth is if you don't know what else to do. If we're buying clothes, can the people who make them be paid fairly?
5: I mean, at the very least,
3: hon. And so I kind of wanted to talk a bit about the commercialization that you were just saying, like, what is the good of this huge corporate brand doing something if the money is just going straight into their pockets? So coming from a queer perspective, I have a love-hate relationship with the commercialization of Pride. Um, and I've had a lot of conversations about this with my sister, who is heteronormative. And she says, aren't you so angry about this company putting a rainbow on this. Aren't you so angry that this company is talking about this?" And I had to go, you know what? I fucking went to a Budweiser pop-up event simply because they were representing other letters of the queer alphabet that wasn't just cis, white, gay men. And yes, they were going to get money from it. And yes, they got to pat themselves on the back. But I was seeing behind the scenes how happy a lot of the more marginalised queer people were that they were going, oh, my God, my specific flag is on this thing. And yes, I have to buy a Budweiser, but I get to have the cup and it's in my colours. Or isn't it great that now, because this conversation has happened, there's been this character in this TV show that's come out as my specific representation rather than, hey, guess what? This, this straight white person's actually not... A straight person and I really do feel torn and conflicted when it comes to things like the feminist representation where the t-shirt costs 500 quid well you know what someone on Etsy is going to rip that off and they're going to be a, a, a feminist or a queer person and they're going to get the <laughs> yes, money to Etsy. their pocket and just I it's it's a thing that I felt really, really conflicted with, being a feminist and being queer, about the, the, the commercialization of marginalization. And I've got to think, well, yes, I would probably like to you know, throw paint at the person who's making all this money off of someone else's suffering, but there are hundreds or thousands of people who are seeing this and they're thinking, oh my God, I'm seen or they learning about an aspect of feminism or being LGBTQIA that they've never heard of and they've suddenly realised that they have more inclusivity than they thought.
5: No, you're so right. Yeah. I mean, I always remind myself, um, you know, okay, why did I get involved in feminist activism when I was 19? It was because I wanted to change the world. So now, when I see the world changing, can I come and complain? Do you know what right. I mean? Like right. I, when when I see things changing, if it's not happening in the way that I'd like it, you know, the fact of the matter is that sometimes the change is going to be out of your control and out of your hands. You know, and yeah, it's flawed, but then at the same time, I'm like, attitudes are changing. So here's a story, right? Um, I had an offer to write a book before I actually went with Bloomsbury, my publisher, who are down the road, and that offer was for. From a small like left wing press, they were going to pay me less than half than Bloomsbury did, and they would have done a much smaller print run and um, they probably would have made me have a really boring title uh, and like a rubbish cover that nobody would look twice at and it wouldn't have got stopped anywhere but it would be it' would be read by the purists by the leftist purists it been right on it would have been read by the people who it would be it would be like advertised to and marketed to and read by people who, like, are very, very interested in, like, racial theory. And I turned them down. One, because I was so broke at the, at the time. I was like, I need money to live, guys. I can't take that <laughs> offer. But also, like, I wanted to go commercial. I wanted to work with a publisher who, you know, had published Harry Potter um, because I I wanted to write a book that was going to be accessible to, I don't know, the only black kid in somewhere in the arse arse end of nowhere in England, you know, like, or perhaps even Wales. You know, like, (laughs) I wanted the book to be available um, absolutely everywhere. Like, I felt that the message was, it was fairly radical, and I wanted it to be absolutely accessible, and I think that sometimes, like, incredibly radical work can be essentially, like... Like... We, re- we reproduce the marginalisation by being purists about it. So when my editor, after the book came out and it was on the bestseller list, was like, "Yeah," she emailed me and she's like, "Yeah, it's going to be stocked in select Sainsburys." I was like, "Yes." Like, yeah, I- I'm out here trying to change the world. I'm trying to reach everyone, yeah. and if that means that it's stocked in Sainsburys and you can pick it up, I don't know, alongside you know, your bag of bananas and porridge oats and whatnot, then that's important to me. Like, if we're going to reach everyone, then it also means that people will do what as they wish with that message. And and you might not be comfortable with what they're doing with it, but it's reached them. Definitely. I mean, I think it's kind of...
0: I've thought about this very much in the context of feminism as well. It's like 10, 15 years... Or when I was a teenager, I don't think I'd have walked into Topshop and even seen a T-shirt that said feminist on it, let alone buy one. And... I think is it maybe like I'm very much a cynic about this kind of like commercial branded feminism. But I think maybe there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, there are 10, 15 year olds who are now super proud to, you know, align themselves with feminism. So like you earlier, you mentioned these books that are kind of like, I guess, like the kids books, like very much kiddie intro to feminism. I'm actually really I know some people don't like those. I'm actually really pro that because I'm like okay you're not going to learn about you know Kimberly Crenshaw and intersectionality and you know Audre Lorde from those books as like a 13 year old but it's like a gateway drug or it's like it's kind of the introduction maybe that's not the right term to use but (laughs) it's an introduction to feminism and then as you get older you start reading more advanced stuff so I'm very pro it but it's when the commercialization of feminism actually like damages the cause that you have to watch out for
5: well i mean how is it damaging the cause to me a feminist t-shirt that's produced in bangladesh where people are getting paid you know a, a ridiculously low amount of money a day in order to do it that's damaging the cause because like mm-hmm. if i'm going to live my privileged life here in london like buy my matcha latte and my keep cup and you know <laughs> prancing down the street i want to be able to do that knowing that the people who are in the production line of that, are not being exploited as a result of that. Do you we know what I mean? We all
2: want a guilt-free matcha latte, I do. We all do. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a comment th- or I question. I just wanted to back. add yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, like, on. I think you have to hold systems and corporations to account, not you don't have to penalise people. So if you're empowered by the We Should All Be Feminist t-shirt or, you know, um, a Pride Budweiser, that is fine. Like, you have to take your... Budweiser's probably a lot cheaper as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, right, that's democratic. i cheers to that. Um, but I think you, you, have to take, you have to take your um, empowerment where you can find it. And I don't think anyone should feel embarrassed, even if you're... A, Empowered by like these trite books like Girl Boss, whatever. Like you take your strength where you find it. But I think it's about holding the systems to account. Don't don't penalise yourself for feeling and, and like-, like.
1: Don't stop at Girl Boss. Right, you know? right, exactly. yes Because so I think if right. I if I read that when I was like a teenager, it would have been you know yeah. radical to me then. But it's like you know continuing that. Yeah, that's true.
5: I think that like, um, you know, I wrote this chapter in my book about like feminism and whiteness and it was informed initially through my own like involvement in the feminist movement in which I found like this real hostility towards talking about racism in that broader feminist movement and I think, you know, I don't know, if you've read the book then you, you, you know where I'm going with this But but largely I think that it's down to this real like kind of binary thinking around like what inequality can look like like you walk down the street you see women of color everywhere but when it comes to when it comes to equality language it's like feminism or anti racism yeah. it's absurd like we know through our lives that that inequality essentially can be intersectional can be overlapping but when it comes to the equality language it's really It's really binary, and, like, I went to go and see Naomi Klein, who's one of my favourite writers, speak at um, the WOW Festival last year, and one of the things that she said that was, like, really pertinent for me was, like, that kind of binary thinking stops us from being collective, and it turns us really into an individualised way of thinking, and then it actually starts creating the liberation movements to be in conflict with one another, and suddenly it's like, well, it's feminism or race. And, like, I think as a black woman, it's just... It's absurd that you even have to start thinking like that. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, divide yourself in two? Like, I think the perfect, um, like, like epitome of that kind of binary thinking at the moment is this kind of belief that feminism and trans rights are in opposition. Um, because I think that, like, right down at the root of this, like, we have the same aim, we have mm-hmm. the same goal. We're trying to mm-hmm. disrupt, like, what we understand gender roles to be, you know? We're trying to... I I believe as a feminist, I'm trying to push against that binary. I'm trying to push against, um, you know, expect- societal expectations that tell me that that because, you know, I was gendered a girl at, at birth, that I'm supposed to do this, this, and look like this, and, and dress like this, and et cetera, et cetera. And I feel that that's what people who are trans and who are involved in activism are also trying to do. I feel an alliance there, but this kind of like binary thinking that like sets us up against each other is, you know, Naomi Klein said it best. Like it's, it's eroding our solidarity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to hark back to what I was saying at the beginning of this session, it's like, to me, like moving away from collectivism is is just hugely damaging to the feminist movement.
8: I think um, just to, touch on the diversion away from celebrating black history month i think that that is a further um i'm actually like really nervous sorry (laughs) (laughs) i think that that is i think that that is actually um a further way that white people are moving away from um collectivism and i think that to i think it's because like actually confronting um confronting the ways that we have oppressed black people is still too awkward and so in shying away from that there is a protection of uh I don't want to say are because this is not in line with my thinking but um, white people's individualism it's a way of further protecting it to kind of still be like oh but I actually do just feel too awkward about it and in the kind of spirit of looking at Like um, multi-layered things, the the right approach and the right attitude is to accept that awkwardness and to voice that and to say like, yeah, you know, like it is really awkward, and like I actually want to, I want you to talk to me about it. And I that you know that does does that make sense? Yeah, does. And and I I want to ask you a
0: question. I want to just just before you guys come back to it, I want to ask you because you just said now you are nervous about Mm -hmm. saying this, but you've also just got up and said that in front of fifty people about something that, you know, could potentially be quite awkward for you to talk about. So I'm quite intrigued as to how you've gotten to that place and how you've, you know, that journey.
8: Um, well, to be honest, like, when uh, we were talking about... So I think... I'd like to think that I've always, like, considered myself a feminist, but I think that's because um, I come from, like, a very, like, stable, middle-class family in the Midlands, and so there was always space for that. But I think... It's really interesting for me to at university. I was very, very outspoken about my feminism. That in a way that, uh, so I only graduated. I'm 25, so I graduated when I was 21. But I think I, um, I think outside of un- Well, I don't know. To be honest, what I've actually like come to realise through this discussion is, I feel that I have, I am less um, fervent in my uh, in like voicing my feminist beliefs. And I wondered. I've kind of come to a conclusion through this that it might be because I... It's maybe like laziness because it's so everywhere that I feel that there's less of a need for me to do it. Um, but I think it's things like saying that International Women's Day gets more profiled than Black History Month is is the kind of stuff that it's like... You know, it's not that I need to hear it necessarily because I do like to think that I'm aware of it, but I do just think that I'm kind of just a bit like... And you know, if I say this, like I can't imagine how like the black women in the room must feel. But like I'm so bored of like white people being, like not willing to talk about stuff, and like, and and I think it is talking about it in this way where like I feel really embarrassed, and I sh- like, and that's okay. Like it, you know. I don't know. I don't want to make it too no, much about I'm, me. No, I like, won't put you on the spot but anymore. I just, but I really but, yeah, appreciate I that, just, and I think you've
0: talked about it in a way that feels really genuine and true. And also, uh, grappling with it openly in front of 50 right. people, um, and I think it's really important that more people do that and more people examine their privileges across the spectrum. Well, so, just because I think, sharing.
8: like, you know, yeah, I've yeah, it's really awkward and uncomfortable. But like, right. how often do I feel that? Like, most, in, like, by comparison, it just is. Yeah, it's. Um, i just kind of just wish that people would like get over themselves a bit and that's what i'm gonna say
0: <laughs> amen to that thank you um what Did are you, just you guys spoken word say? Kicks for
8: that that was
1: fab <laughs> and I, I think that i'm interested that you were talking so much about like the discomfort and the embarrassment and i think like for white people often being like accused of being racist is so much more uncomfortable than the fact that like racism actually exists right. Right. <laughs> like right. it's more it's more kind of like that, that discomfort or that embarrassment is, can, can for some white people just make them feel so much more, you know, uncomfortable than the fact that people literally go through racist experiences every day.
2: hundred percent, and in terms of, you know, the discomfort or the wariness that, you know, some people feel about talking about trans rights and advocating for that, yeah, it's because it's, it is new territory and there's new language, there's a lot of scope to make error, but similarly to the fact that a white person talking about race, is, it's literally a drop in the ocean compared to just the I can't even speak to just the cumulative exhaustion and wahala of experiencing microaggressions and living as a black person in this world the way it's currently set up and so similarly when it comes to advocating for trans rights like you know uh, my trans siblings and friends it's like their safety is at risk all the time. Like if I'm like mildly embarrassed about getting like called out or like dragged on Twitter or whatever like that is like nothing compared to the real world consequences of being trans in this world right now and I think we all have a duty to broach that discomfort, you know.
0: I'm just going to jump in there quickly and say I'm actually really glad you said that because discussions around trans rights is something that i'm anyone who follows me on twitter knows that i talk a lot like i'm very vocal but it's a subject i've kind of stayed away from because like you say i am actually nervous about getting it wrong even though i'm like for the most part i feel like i'm i'm like i know my feminism i know my stuff but that is still an issue that i feel like i'm like okay in my head i'm like okay i'm gonna listen because i do think there's importance to listen I'm like I'm gonna listen to the people who know more about it than I do let them talk and just kind of like you know retweeting faving and being like okay this is what I know is right but I mean it's just I'm just glad you said that because I think sometimes I can feel very comfortable in the fact that because I am a black woman I'm like okay well I've got this down like I'm not you know but it's like there are Ways for all of us to
5: learn and you to grow to and expand up. and I've yeah. Been being dragged on Twitter all week. <laughs> um, <laughs> what,
1: did what, yeah, uh, what did
5: you do? What did I do? Um I put my name to a oh, open letter that. in The Guardian mm. speaking up for trans rights oh, right. yeah. that actually I didn't write it, but they put my name up at the top because uh, I'm famous, apparently.
2: Because
5: your <laughs> you're a Sunday um, Times And actually Sarah. it was a dear friend of mine who's a non-binary who I assume had drafted the letter and it was a perfect letter. I agreed with every um, every word of it um, and I've been dragged onto it all real week but you know at the end of the day it's not my skin in the game right. Right. you know people dragging me uh, the mentions uh, I just keep it muted yeah. <laughs> you know I delete the Twitter app off my phone but at the end of the day I just feel like trans people go through su- such like you know, particularly trans people who don't pass to standards right, that we consider right. to be cisgender. They who just go through. Who don't have Caitlyn Jenner money. Exactly. Like, <laughs> go through ridicule and hatred and, like, struggle to access, you know, basic rights of employment, education, healthcare, and housing. And I'm ashamed of a feminist movement that tries to add to that yeah. adversity. Right. I'm ashamed of it. You know, I've been, I keep signing these open letters in support of trans rights and. I remember I doing it like five, six years ago in 2014, and then some odd, obsessive person added me to a list called misogynists. (laughs) And it's like, again, you know what? It's literally no skin off my nose, and I actually don't have skin in the game, but what I do know is that, this is gonna sound so cliche, but I have dear friends who are non-binary, who have transitioned, and I'm like, I'm just invested in your safety. Really, it's as simple as that, you know? I just want you to live free. I, I, I don't have all the academic arguments, but I just, That's I, thing I just what feel I like with a little we need to do.
0: Feeling like I don't have the academics down no,
5: on that, I mean, but I feel like you have don't need it down to. in other <laughs> areas. Um, as long as you want people to be able to access oh, yeah. all of their basic human rights.
0: Yeah, there's know? a lot of hands up, so I'm going to put this out to the audience. Where is the mic, the roving mic?
3: I was just going to say on um, the whole not knowing if you're using the right words, anything like that. If you do use the wrong word and then someone goes, actually, by the way, could you say X instead of Y, that's the best way to respond to that is going, thank you very much. So I, you know, I used to say BAME, like B-A-M-E, at work a lot. And we, you know, then it all said, actually, can you not? We're using inclusivity rather than diversity. So it's if you don't. Be scared about talking about it because if you do use something that someone might not agree with most likely they're going to very politely explain to you actually it's this instead of that and i really hope that if i were to say something and someone to come up to me and say actually it's this instead of that then i would take that as a learning <laughs> point agreed okay, and point.
2: i would say if even they don't respond politely it's probably because they're really hurt by whatever it is that you've said and that's not to do with you personally but you should just acknowledge that hurt and just you know keep it moving it's not about you
0: um we are absolutely going to have to wrap things up now i just wanted to say thank you guys all so much for coming thank you for being so open and generous and for volunteering like, this has been like one of the best events that i've ever taken part in it's been so fascinating i want to thank our amazing not panelists, special guest zayzi afore round of applause See renny Edo-Lodge in Absentia <laughs> and Emma Hope Allwood, you guys have been brilliant, you've absolutely made this but so have you, um, I definitely want to try and replicate this format again soon so just like follow at Women Who on Twitter and Instagram sign up for the newsletter and you'll hopefully be the first ones to find out about the next one and thank one.
1: you so much for uh-huh. organising
2: I want to share a word that my mom just whatsapped me um, we're Auntie Whatsapp, uh, we're Isoko, we're from Delta State, Oroba, um, Otego half half robber, which is next door to us, and my mom just sent me a word called aproko, and it means big mouth, or saying something before the scheduled time. So I just want to encourage everybody to be aproko, have a big mouth, and share what you need to share, don't be afraid to speak up. I know, isn't that cute from, I know, well done, Mama for it. she's so iconic. <laughs> Yeah, and she wishes everybody happy International Women's Day. (laughs)